Good morning. It's good to see you all this morning, even those of you who were here for the 9.30 service. I bombed. Uh, daylight savings joke. Uh, my name's John. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to be with you this morning. Uh, we've zoomed in on the last week of Christ's life throughout our Lenten journey together. Uh, we followed the different moments and some different characters as we've followed Christ to the betrayal and to the arrest and to the crucifixion. As Thomas has mentioned, all four of the Gospels devote a massive amount of attention to this last week of Christ's life. And yet we typically only give it our undivided attention during Holy Week. But this last week of Christ's life is way too important for us to treat it minimally. It's the events of this week that define who we are as a church. I mean, Jesus said and did a lot of wonderful things. Blessed are the poor, but they will inherit the kingdom of God. Come to me, all those who are weary, all those who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus performed miracles. He, he healed people. He taught about the kingdom of God. He forgave sinners. He included those whom society had excluded. Jesus did a lot of wonderful things. But that's ultimately not why we're here today worshiping. The gospel writers tell us that Jesus' ministry was really only provisional until the crucifixion. That it's the cross that seals Christ's mission. As Christ hangs on the cross, only there is he able to say, it is finished. The early church summarized their theology in creeds. And in the Apostles' Creed and in the Nicene Creed, the two earliest creeds, the creeds that all Christians from all places use, The only description of Christ's life that is included in those creeds is that he suffered. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, dead, and buried. And this is no accident. They knew what they were doing. And they did this because they understood themselves to be a community shaped by a crucified Christ. So if we miss this, if we miss these last seven days of Christ's Life, we will miss what defines us as a community of Christ followers. Because to be a disciple of Jesus Christ depends very much on the events of that last week. And my suspicion is that we try to save Jesus from the cross. Maybe we don't do it on purpose, but we talk a lot, a lot about the incarnation that Christmas miracle through which God became human and dwelt among us, took up residence with us. We talk a lot about Christ's ministry of healing, the forgiveness of sins that he offers, but we don't like to talk about the cross. The cross is very difficult for us to think through. And when we do it, it demands a total reorientation of our lives. Total reorientation of our lives. In our, in our culture, which is, I think, marked by positive thinking, which tends to kind of avoid the difficult and hard conversations, becomes even more increasingly difficult to talk about this cross. And this is true for the church. 
It's true for pastors. I mean, I remember when I was in seminary and you like how I dropped that like it was so long ago? <laughs> One time when I was in seminary, uh, early on I was interning at this church and the first sermon that I had to preach there, the pastor said to me, he's like, you're going to preach on Christ the King Sunday. And I'm like, that's awesome. That sounds like a great Sunday to preach on. Uh, he's like, you're going to preach from the Gospels. And I'm like, yeah, like, tell me more. You're going to preach on the crucifixion. And I was like, What? Why would I do that? Like, why would I have to preach on the crucifixion the week before Advent? Like, you guys know all about Advent, right? Like, Jesus comes as a baby. It's like, it's great. It's a great story. Why would I have to preach on the crucifixion? I didn't want to. I resisted it until that Sunday. H. Richard Niebuhr, an American theologian, said years ago that in America, we are prone to worship a God without wrath. Wrath who brought human beings without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministry of a Christ without a cross. In America, we are more prone to worship a God without wrath who brought human beings into a kingdom without judgment through the ministry of a Christ without a cross. Maybe we think that if we can save Jesus from the cross, we could like totally avoid it ourselves. But we're in good company. We're not the only ones who have tried to save Jesus from the cross. If you remember when Jesus predicted his own death, told, his own, told of his own death to his disciples, Simon Peter was like, God forbid. I, mean, I would never let that happen to you. I would never let that happen to you. Like Peter, our plans for Jesus would rather not include the cross. The word the Apostle Paul used when discussing the cross is the same word that we get scandal from. It's a scandal. It's foolishness. Why would this happen? This is a terrible thing that happened. Why would God be killed at the hands of human beings? And why would Christ willingly accept this? One theologian put it this way, the cross is not and cannot be loved. The cross is not and cannot be loved. And yet, only the crucified Christ can bring the freedom which changes the world because it is no longer afraid of death. Only the crucified Christ can bring the freedom which can change the world because it is no longer afraid of death. Our text for this morning recounts Simon Peter's ongoing struggle with the crucified Christ. It's a struggle that I believe we continue to have today. The passage is Luke 22, verses 54 through 62. Listen now for God's word to us today. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. But Peter was following at a distance. When they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him in the firelight, stared at him and said, This man was also with him. But he denied it saying, woman, I do not know him. A little later, someone else on seeing him said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I'm not. Man, I'm not. Then, about an hour later, still another kept insisting, surely this man was also with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. At that moment, while he was still speaking, the cock crowed. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, 
how he had said to him, before the cock crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, take my words and use them to amplify your reconciling and liberating word. Lord, then take our thoughts and think through them this morning. And then take our lives and fill us with the kind of courageous love that we need to be your servants in the world that you love. In your name we pray. Amen. So one of my favorite scenes in Scripture is the scene at the end of John's Gospel, where uh, Jesus and the disciples are gathered around um, a fire. The disciples are sharing breakfast with the risen Christ. Imagine being there. The sand on the beach, the smell of the campfire, the sweet company of friends. I don't know about you, but for me, this is about as good as it gets. Maybe it's the Pacific Northwest in me, but uh, a breakfast fire on a lakeshore with some of my best friends, one of whom I, I thought I would never see again, that sounds pretty perfect to me. A mentor of mine uh, used to tell me that, that his mind kind of goes blank whenever he thinks about heaven or life in a resurrected body, like doesn't really have a, a lot of images for that uh, imagination or that thought. And so he, he takes great comfort in knowing that according to the witness of John, a resurrected life is something like sitting by a fire on the shore of a lake sharing breakfast with old, close friends. Now imagine what this moment is like for Simon Peter. The last time that he smelled a fire maybe was when he was in the courtyard denying that he was Christ's follower. It's fresh in his memory. We're told that Peter was so eager to see Christ that he jumped out of the boat. Peter is always jumping out of the boat. And he swims to shore. And after they've had their breakfast, Jesus asks Peter to confirm his love three times. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And Peter confirms that he does, in fact, love Jesus. And then Jesus says to Peter, When you were younger, you were accustomed to growing wherever, going wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will be taken to places that you would rather not go. And then the gospel writer tells us kind of what this means. It's a really cryptic saying. But that what Jesus is doing is he's hinting at the fact that Peter will one day face his own cross as a consequence of following Christ. And then Jesus says, follow me. I think that this is the moment that we witness the conversion of Simon Peter. On the lake, next to the risen Christ, Peter finally becomes a disciple. So keep this moment in your memory and turn the clock back to just days earlier to the scene that we just read about in Luke's gospel. Jesus has just been arrested and Peter is following kind of at a distance. He like wants to see how this whole thing is going to shake out. And so he follows them to the high priest's house and he's out in the courtyard and one of the servants from the priest's house recognizes him and says, you know, you're a disciple. Peter's like, man, I'm not. Um, he, he denies it. And then he denies it two more times. And at the end of the night, as we have just read, Peter has denied Christ as Christ told him that he would. Three times. 
The question you have to ask yourself, and the question that I've been asking myself, is why? Like, why does Peter do this? Why does he deny Christ? Not once, not twice, but three times. There's typically two reasons given for this. The first is that Peter was a coward. He got scared. In the heat of the moment, he could see what, where this whole thing was headed. A mob had just taken Christ. It's a kind of a, in darkness, and there's kind of quick trial in the, in the high priest's house. He, he knows where this is headed, and he doesn't want to be included in it. So no, I, I'm not with that guy. But I don't, I don't actually buy this theory. I mean, Peter, Peter's been following Christ for years. They've been in and out of pretty sticky situations, pretty weird situations. Not to mention that one of the other gospel writers tells us that when they came for Christ, Peter was there, and his response was to take out his sword, and it cut off the ear. He, like, cut off the ear of one of the soldiers. He was ready for a fight. So I don't think he was a coward. I think maybe naive, maybe reckless, but not a coward. So maybe, the second reason, maybe it was just a slip of the tongue. Maybe it was just a a quick white lie in the midst of chaos and confusion and these strangers coming and asking him questions. So that just that first time, he just lied. Maybe it was to just, like, make that servant go away so he could pay attention. Like, you're bothering me. No, I'm not with him. So he could pay attention. And we all know how lies work. You tell the lie first, and you got to keep telling it. you got to keep telling the lie. So his second denial and his third denial were just a way of keeping up appearances. But both of these reasons for Peter's denial try to explain Peter's intentions away. He didn't really mean it. He just, he made a mistake, or he was just afraid. But deep down, deep down, Peter, he was really a disciple. But what if this is the most honest thing that Peter has done since he dropped his nets to follow Christ? What if this is the most honest Peter has been? That in this moment, when Peter realizes that he is actually not a disciple, because he's not willing to follow a Christ who will be crucified, he suddenly realizes that he has been following his own dream for what Jesus would do for him by overthrowing the Roman Empire and creating a new kingdom. He's been following his own dream rather than following the Christ who will be crucified. Luke's earliest description of Simon Peter is that he is a zealot, someone with very strong political feelings against the Roman occupation. Peter has had his plans for Jesus, plans which did not include going to the cross. So when he is asked, are you a follower of Jesus Christ, the crucified God? He answers honestly. No, I am not. I cannot follow Christ to the cross. I am not a follower of Jesus Christ, the crucified God. I am not ready for that. What about you? We who have responded to Christ's call to come and follow him will hear this same question as we journey alongside him to the cross. Are you a disciple? I've seen you with him. Kind of look like a disciple. Kind of smell like a disciple. Are you a disciple? This question will not go away. It will be asked of you this week when you're at work. 
It will be asked of you later today when you are interrupted on your day off. It will be asked of you when you sit down tomorrow to do your taxes. It will be asked of you in a month when a friend or a stranger needs your help. Are you a disciple? We would like to think that we would answer very quickly in the affirmative. Yes. It's spring break. I'm at church. Of course I'm a disciple. I made it on time during daylight savings. Yes, I am a disciple. Next question. But what are we saying yes to? Are we following the crucified God or are we following the God that we hope will make our dreams come true? These are going to be in conflict almost every time. And maybe if you're being honest with yourself, you might admit this morning that you're not really prepared to follow the crucified God. Maybe if you're being honest with yourself this morning, you might admit that you've got your own plans for Jesus, which do not include him going to the cross. Sure, you're probably not trying to overthrow an empire, but it it may be that you'd want Jesus to give you a prestigious job, a powerful position, powerful status, maybe the perfect family, or just a relatively easy life. Unless you think that, like, nah, I'm not really tempted like that. Like, those were the temptations that the devil tempted Jesus with when he went into the wilderness. Like power, prestige, money, comfort. These are all the temptations. These are all the plans that we have for Jesus. And yet Jesus goes to the cross. Our story from Luke tells us that when the rooster crowed, Peter went out and he wept bitterly. He could not follow Christ to the cross. But the time came for him to accept the forgiveness offered by the risen Christ so that he could get on with being a disciple again. Conversion always begins this way. By receiving, by accepting the forgiveness which is freely given by the risen Christ. Which restores our relationship. A relationship that we are prone to deny. And will deny again. So that we can learn to follow Again, which takes us back to that scene on the lake shore where Jesus is enjoying the company of his friends. I think Peter became a disciple on the shores of the lake because he was finally willing to follow the crucified God. He finally understood that to truly be a disciple means to give up the plans that you have for Jesus and to accept the way of the cross. Because only the crucified Christ can bring the freedom which changes the world because it is no longer afraid of death. Why? Because the worst, things that, worst thing that human beings could do has already happened. And God's response was resurrection. The worst thing that could happen is that God in the flesh would be killed by the hands of human beings, God's own creation. It doesn't get worse than that. And think about it. If God can bring life to a place like that, there is no place that God cannot bring life to. There is no place that God cannot bring life to. Suddenly, Christ's words, do not fear for I have overcome the world, take on a whole new meaning. It's not that God's going to overcome the world by a show of strength, by brute force, by having the greatest army, as Peter hoped. 
Instead, by going to the cross, Jesus overcomes all the ways that death creeps into our lives and attempts to swallow us up with it. The despair that we suffer, the pain that we feel, the addiction we can't shake, the anxiety which overwhelms us, maybe just the poor decisions which stack up and leave our lives in ruins. Christ from the cross is saying, if I can go into the depths and be brought back again, then you don't have to fear because God can bring life from death for you as well. My friends, this is how the kingdom of God will be built. This is why this last week is so important for us as followers of Christ. If we're going to be faithful witnesses to the kingdom that God is building, we have to pay attention to how God is building it. We follow a crucified God whose power is made perfect in weakness. In weakness. Last week, Thomas talked about how we hide parts of ourselves that, like the Pharisees, use the cover of darkness to go and to scandalize Jesus and to, to, to commit this crime. That we, too, use the cover of darkness to hide uh, ourselves and, and we project an image of ourselves. We pretend to be something other than we are. We pretend to be perfect, to have it all together. And this is probably a good sign that we are not following the crucified God. Because like Peter, following a crucified Christ eventually means that you will go places that you'd rather not go. Even and especially places in your own self. But when we accept the way of the cross as the path to salvation, we can admit our failures, we can face our shame, we can deal with our despair because God's response to all the signs of death in our lives is resurrection. When Peter realized that God's response to the cross was resurrection, he was finally able to give up his plans for Jesus and follow. Maybe it's time for you to give up your plans for Jesus and accept the way of the cross too. Maybe it's time that we all stopped trying to save Jesus from the cross and let the cross save us because it is the only way to resurrection. Let's pray. Gracious God, we admit that the cross is a scandal, that it's foolishness, that we don't understand why you became human and loved as greatly as you did and did the wonderful things that you did and then willingly accepted the cross. And yet we also know that through the power of the cross, we are offered freedom because we are no longer afraid of death. That if you can bring life to the depths of despair of Christ on the cross, dead and buried, that there is no place that you cannot bring life to. Help us to be a community that believes that. Help us to be a community that offers that kind of life to our neighbors. Help us to pay attention to your resurrecting power, even in the places of darkness and death. God, fill us up with your love. And send us out of here with your power. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.